Welcome to Turning Point. The Bible says that after the rapture, many will be saved. How will that be possible when no Christians will be around to share the gospel? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals God's plan for keeping the light of salvation illuminated for a world in darkness. From his series on end times prophecy, Signs, here's David to introduce today's message, The Two Witnesses. Well, today we open our Bibles to the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation and the continuing series of 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse continues. Today we're going to talk about the two witnesses. Did you know that God always sends forerunners to warn of judgments on sin? In fact, the book of Revelation is filled with warnings, most of which are unheeded, but still offered because of the grace and mercy of Almighty God. The two witnesses are a part of God's grace program for the future, and we're going to talk about them in just a moment right here on the daily edition of Turning Point. We're in a new month now. This is the month of May, and we have a brand new book that we're really excited about. Have you ever wondered what will happen on earth after Christ comes for the church? You know, God's Word gives us plenty of information about what life will look like after we're in heaven, And in this new book that comes out this month and is available to you for the first time here on Turning Point, we are going to look at what life will be like after the rapture. This book was done with the purpose of sharing it with someone who is not a believer to help them understand what will happen once the rapture of the church occurs. Did you know that Christ could come at any moment? And when he comes, there are going to be a lot of confused people on this earth. This book will help them understand what's next and what their only opportunity might be. And we'd love for you to have a copy of this very strategic After the Rapture book. It's the resource for the month of May, which means it's available to you for a gift of any size. Ask for it when you send your gift today. Israel's Prime Minister Yehudi Abrams smiled as he posed with Prime Minister Judas Christopher of Great Britain. The crowd in Tel Aviv applauded as the two men stepped up to the podium in front of a cluster of microphones and TV cameras. My dear citizens of Israel, the Prime Minister's voice was buoyant. I am happy to announce the signing of an unprecedented treaty in which Prime Minister Christopher has guaranteed peace between Israel and our Islamic neighbors as well as a defense from any other aggressing nation for seven years. Cheers and applause erupted as Christopher stepped up to the microphone. On behalf of my country, he said, I would like to express how happy we are to be the agents that have finally brought peace to the Middle East. Please be assured that Great Britain, which spearheaded the establishment of your nation in 1948, will always be your staunch friend and ally. In the months following the announced treaty, Israel directed its attention and its funds away from military endeavors and poured its efforts into domestic expenditures. Seemingly overnight, the nation's prosperity exploded. But with this new reality came some unexpected cultural changes as well. Following the pattern of the Western world, the Israeli people began to descend deeper into a quagmire of self-indulgence and pleasure-seeking. In the culture of that day lived a couple, Aaron and his live-in girlfriend, Sephora, 
finished their dinner and took a walk, as they often did, toward the park. It was more than an hour until sundown, and the park teemed with joggers, teenagers playing basketball, families cooking on portable grills with their children playing tag. On the perimeter of the grassy expanse, a sizable cluster of onlookers stood gathered around one of the park benches. Aaron pointed Sephora toward that direction of the crowd. What's going on over there? Curious, they drew closer. They reached the edge of the crowd where the words of a tall stranger rang out clear and strong. Men and women of Israel, you have exalted honor of being a special people chosen out of all the nations to bring God's Holy One to the earth. But you killed him, the Messiah who came to save you. Other nations recognized and accepted what you rejected and out of reverence they called this city now the Holy City. His tone became even more serious. But I tell you, you are not holy. Evil abounds throughout your land. Your depravity would make Sodom blush. I tell you that the Messiah whom you spurned will soon return and assert his rightful throne and rule over you. And unless you repent of your evil, his judgment will descend like an executioner's ax and you will perish forever. After several more exhortations by the two men, Aaron grabbed Sephora's hand and pulled her toward the walking path. We are not standing here anymore listening to these kooks, he said. But what if the warnings are true, Sephora said. I've had enough nonsense. Let's get out of here. We're leaving right now. Well, in the next several months, the two witnesses appeared daily all over Jerusalem in parks, in public squares, on street corners, at markets, anywhere where people would stop and listen to them. And it wasn't long before the entertainment value of these two witnesses grew thin and people became intolerant of their continued demands for repentance. One evening, Aaron and Sephora stopped to get groceries after dinner. Upon leaving the store, they passed a construction site and happened upon the two witnesses addressing a jeering crowd. Aaron decided to have a little fun. He edged closer to the front and then called out to the speaker. This time, the shorter of the two speakers. He said, Sir, you have warned us about our impending doom. We will believe you if you will give us a sign proving that you are indeed God's prophets. The witness replied, You want a sign? Very well. I will give you a sign. Just as Moses turned the Nile into blood, Tomorrow morning when you rise, your own water sources will yield contaminated water as red as blood. You will drink it because you have no option, and you will suffer all of the diseases and the plagues that were inflicted on ancient Egypt. The next morning, Sephora rose early and still half asleep, turned on the kitchen tap to make coffee. When she looked at the pot, she screamed and let it slip out of her hands. The pot shattered and brownish red liquid splattered across the floor. The water throughout Israel turned putrid and red as the rainy season came and went with no precipitation. The Sea of Galilee's water levels plummeted. Crops failed. Vineyards shriveled. Sheep and cattle died. A constant caravan of trucks, trains, and ships brought water to Israel, but it would never be enough. Hospitals and mortuaries were filled to capacity. As the two witnesses gained more public exposure, Jerusalem's mayor faced increasing pressure to take action against them. Finally, Jerusalem's police chief took matters into his own hands. 
knowing he would have overwhelming public support, he sent a squadron of officers to the park to arrest the two witnesses. As the police officers advanced toward the two men, they drew in a deep breath and then exhaled. A wave of intense heat met the officers. They forced themselves forward toward the invisible flame, but soon fell to the ground, writhing and screaming in the throes of death. The chief dispatched a second squad with orders to shoot and kill the witnesses. The two prophets stood impassively as the policemen aimed their weapons. All at once, staccato blasts resounded throughout the park, and when the firing ceased, the witnesses stood rooted like mighty oaks, unfazed and unflinching. The taller one said, You cannot harm us until we have finished the task God has called us to perform. As the two witnesses' verbal pronouncements against Judas Christopher intensified, so did his fury against them. Mayor Mendel was clearly unable to deal with them. It was time to take matters into his own hands. Christopher put in a call to Prime Minister Abrams. You and that weak-kneed mayor have let these little gnats bite at us for long enough. Tomorrow morning, a contingent of my troops stationed in Israel will move in and exterminate them once and for all. But sir, Abrams replied, Jerusalem's police have tried to kill them several times. They seem to be invincible. Nonsense, Christopher shot back. No one is invincible, at least not yet. Just after sunrise the next day, the two witnesses lay dead in the street, brought down by the first rounds fired by the British squad. No one understood why these troops were successful when all the previous attempts had failed. But Christopher didn't care. He was relieved that this insidious cancer had finally been eradicated. Live footage of the assassination was broadcast all over the world, and Christopher ordered the corpses displayed publicly so the entire world could see their humiliating end. Leave them exposed for three and a half days, he commanded. One day for every year, their vitriol has poisoned our lives. In the wake of the news, Israel celebrated with an orgy of indulgence. The death of the witnesses was the cover story for every news outlet and talk show around the world. Tour guides even ran excursions into Jerusalem so that the people could view the unburied corpses. As noon approached on the fourth day, Prime Minister Abrams stood on a specially constructed platform overlooking the public square. Behind him sat Israel's highest political and religious officials, and the square in front of him brimmed with a sea of people. The bullet-riddled bodies of the two witnesses were sprawled before the prime minister on muslin tarps in a ghoulish parody of a funeral. The corpses were ashen except for where the blood had pooled. Abrams addressed the crowd. Today you see before you the bodies of two instigators who have been the bane of our existence for three and a half years. These vile carcasses do not deserve burial. We will discard them as the refuse they are. As the world watches, they will be taken to the dump, and they will rot in the sun. At the prime minister's signal, the driver of a waiting front-end loader started the engine, and the vehicle rumbled forward. It stopped in front of the two corpses, its bucket lowered to scoop them up. At that moment, the two witnesses stirred and rose to their feet. A healthy color spread over their skin as the crowd watched their wounds disappeared entirely. Suddenly there was a deafening sound like a rushing wind above the square, and the terrified onlookers gazed upward to see a bright, swirling cloud coming down from the sky. 
It enveloped the two witnesses like a blanket and then ascended again. After the cloud lifted, the witnesses were nowhere to be seen. Then without warning, the ground began to shake. The tremors were mild at first, but soon the quaking grew violent. Panic set in, and people started running in all directions. The platform collapsed, killing most of the dignitaries on it. The city hall behind them shook until it toppled, crushing hundreds of people in the square and hundreds more inside. Other government buildings collapsed into rubble. Gas lines broke. Fires erupted, consuming scores of victims. Fissures as deep as canyons split the ground, swallowing hundreds of people. The prime minister and his entire cabinet perished, along with more than half of the parliament. Sephora stared at the TV as the horrific events played out before her eyes. She could barely take it all in. But she found herself strangely elated at the resurrection and ascension of the two witnesses. Feeling convicted and shamed over her own sin, she bowed her head, the tears flowed as she prayed. Please forgive me, Lord. I promise to put away my immorality and follow your Christ, whatever the cost. She spent the rest of the day boxing up her belongings, called a cab, wrote Aaron a farewell note, and left his apartment. She knew she would never see him again. That's the end of the story. And you know what? When I read a story like that, if we didn't know anything at all about the Bible, anything about God, we might say, well, you know what? That sounds like the script for a movie. I wonder where they got that. That's really wild. And man, there's some weird and fantastic stuff in there that's kind of hard to believe. Sounds like Star Wars. But I need to tell you more than any other of these stories, this comes directly from the text of the scripture. If we were to stop right now and just read Revelation 11, you would be shocked at how very closely the story I have told you represents what the scripture says. So in these next few moments, let's do that research for ourselves. The coming of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation marks the beginning of God's program of witnessing to the world during the tribulation period. I know that you know when the rapture takes place, all Christians on the whole earth will be raptured off of the earth and there will be no Christians left. It would seem that if all of the unbelievers now are the only ones left on the earth, and God has taken all of his chosen ones to heaven, that God might just write off the population of planet Earth and say, that's it, I'm done with them, let them have their own way and plunge into their own sin. But the Bible does not allow us to believe that because what the Scripture teaches men and women is that God never, ever, ever allows himself to be without a witness. In the darkest days of God's judgment, in the midst of all of the tribulation that's recorded in the book of Revelation, throughout all of the story of the future judgment upon this earth, one thing is consistently clear, and that is the evidence of the love of God who reaches into the darkness of our world with the light of the message of his son, Jesus Christ. And here in the midst of the awful judgment of this earth, because of their rejection of God, he sends to this earth two men who we will learn about in just a few moments, to preach the gospel of God's love and also warn the people of the judgment to come. These two witnesses are like no others that have ever walked upon this earth. The Bible tells us a little bit about their personalities. In verse 3 it says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, the Bible says that God is going to empower these two witnesses, 
and they are going to have a period of time to preach the gospel and preach the judgment of God, and that period of time is 1,260 days, which translates into 42 months, which translates into three and a half years on the Jewish calendar. The Bible says they are going to preach, they're going to do miracles, and they are not people that are imaginary, nor are they symbols. Some people have said the two witnesses are the law and the prophets. No. Some people have said the two witnesses represent the Old and the New Testament. No. The two witnesses are two people, two actual people who come to this earth for this moment of time to present God's message to the people who are still here. Now, many folks know that the names of these two witnesses are not given to us in the book of Revelation chapter 11, but the questions are often asked as to the identity of these two people. So I'd like to tell you who I think they are based upon not only Revelation but all of the Scripture. I believe that the first of the two witnesses is Elijah, sent back to this earth by Almighty God. Right before the Old Testament concludes in the fourth chapter of Malachi, we read these words, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, which begins at the three and a half period of tribulation, God is going to send Elijah it is probable that this is what he was talking about. Elijah would come back to the earth to witness for God himself. It's also interesting to put together some other facts. Do you know that Elijah was miraculously taken up to heaven in the Old Testament? Remember that story? Elijah's already been raptured once. He was swished up into heaven by Almighty God. And the Bible tells us that Elijah on one occasion withheld rain from the earth and announced that the rain would not come on this earth for three and a half years. He did that during his life. He's going to do it again in the tribulations we shall see in a few moments. Elijah also called down fire from heaven. The two witnesses used fire to defend themselves. And the length of both the drought in Elijah's day and the ministry of the two witnesses is three years and six months. I can't prove this for a fact I wouldn't want to die on any hill for this, but I believe the first witness is Elijah. There are many things that make us believe that. And then the second witness, sometimes people say it's Enoch, and everybody's got an idea about the second witness, but I would like to suggest to you that the second witness is Moses. First of all, Moses appeared with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, so they've appeared together already since their human death, and now they've come back at the Transfiguration. What would prevent them from coming back during the Tribulation? Also, God gave Moses the ability to turn the water into blood. Remember that? When the witnesses give the same power in the New Testament, it's reflective of on the plagues that came upon Egypt when Moses turned the water into blood in Egypt. you remember that story? And we also know that God had preserved Moses' body so that he would be restored. The bodies of the witnesses will be restored as well. And the Bible tells us that Satan contended with Michael, the archangel, for the body of Moses. Many people believe that that was to keep Moses from being able to do this last thing that would happen in the tribulation. And as you study the Bible, Moses and Elijah stand for the law and the prophets. 
And since the ministry of the witnesses will be in Jerusalem to the Jewish nation, what two more powerful witnesses could God send to call them to repentance than Elijah the prophet and Moses the lawgiver, two of the most prominent and important people in Israel's history? I believe that during that period of time, for three and a half years, Almighty God sent Elijah and Moses back to this world to preach the judgment of God to the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us of their prophecies. Verse 3 says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. You get an idea of their prophecy when you read in this verse that they are clothed in sackcloth. That's a special clothing for someone who is in mourning. The sackcloth was put on by Jacob when he thought that Joseph, his son, was dead. David put on sackcloth when he heard of Abner's murder. The Bible says these two men will be dressed in mourning. And now the Bible tells us about their power. Once again, Revelation chapter 11. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. The Spirit of God is going to give Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, special power. First of all, the power of their preaching. Never will men preach like these two men preached. I mean, I can't imagine what their sermons would be like. How many of you have ever heard a really, really, really fiery sermon? Anybody ever hear a sermon like that? Many of us grew up in churches where we heard them every week, right? Whether we liked it or not. Well, I don't know what the sermon's going to be like, but a writer on the book of Revelation by the name of William R. Newell has guessed that it might be something like this. They will say that the Lord Jesus Christ who has been rejected is the Lord of all the earth. They will say, as Jehovah the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years but according to my word. They will testify of human wickedness right to the faces of the wicked men themselves. They will testify of the character of the judgments just passed and they will tell of the judgments that are to come. If you'd be sitting in the congregation listening to the two witnesses, you might have a visceral emotional response to it. I remember reading the story of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and they say that when he preached that sermon, it was like he was dangling people over the precipice of hell and the flames of fire were burning. He made it so that people passed out during the service. So this will be a message that will be so powerful if nothing else happened, you couldn't resist the impact of it. Well, that's part one of the two witnesses. We'll finish up our discussion about this tomorrow here on Turning Point. I sure do hope you'll be with us for part two of the two witnesses in the series 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. I told you at the beginning of the program about our new resource, and before we say our final goodbye, I want to remind you that we're going to Alaska in July. That's correct. Our cruise conference to Alaska is July 16th through the 23rd. Um, We'll be back in the Alaskan waters again after uh, having had to walk away for a while. We hope you will decide to come with us. You can download the brochure from our website that tells you everything you need to know. You can begin the registration process and join us when we head out to the beautiful Alaskan uh, state in the month of July. I hope you will do that. 
Don't forget to continue to pray for Turning Point. We've had some marvelous things happen. Uh, if you were with us on uh, Easter Sunday, you know we um, began a new ministry in Ukraine on television. Yes, Turning Point is now on television in Ukraine. Uh, voiceover, I am actually preaching in the Ukrainian language. And um, what a wonderful thing that was to announce to our people that we are making a difference, not just financially, but also spiritually in this land where so much pain and hurt is now being experienced. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Pray for the cessation of this war. Pray for wisdom for our leaders. Pray for courage to do what's right. And be sure and join us tomorrow for part two of The Two Witnesses. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard New International and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you looking for a simple way to talk with unbelievers about the end times? This month, for a donation of any amount, you can receive Dr. David Jeremiah's newest book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. And for $40 or more, you can receive two copies of this book to share with unsaved friends. Or for a generous donation of $85 or more, you'll also receive an additional booklet and DVD to help you refresh your knowledge of the end times. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to get your copy today. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. I once read something that made me stop and think. The observation was this. It's interesting that we expect our children to have good table manners without ever having seen any. Ouch. As I do with most things, I'll give my wife the credit she deserves for being a good example for our children. 
in table manners, and many other important areas of life. But that observation raises an important point. We all need examples to follow in life. Twice, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul encouraged them to imitate him because he was imitating Christ. Now that's good advice for us all. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's perfect example on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.